the medical situations in Korea for us as a family, I think something that we ought to touch base on. Um, we probably had as good a care as you could most anywhere in the world because we were there oh, yeah. on a mission station with with uh, doctors around us, always, always one to three or four American doctors, and then there's some Korean doctors at the hospital, but um, for our neighbors, and so if we had problems, we always had help. Medical help. We went help. to an uncle or an aunt. Exactly. Yeah. We, we called everybody uncle or aunt. Um, but I remember, I got stitches half dozen times or something. I remember mama one time saying, uh, now the hospital was a couple hundred yards down the hill from us. Mama saying to, to me, oh go, down, oh, go on down there and ask Uncle Frank to sew you up. And <laughs> she swore later on she never sent me by myself, but yes, she did. <laughs> well, I, I can remember just going straight to Uncle Frank's house. Yeah. You know, if it was it was late afternoon, he'd be home for dinner or something, and don't even bother going home. Just but go he, straight he, over there. He was in his office, and I walked in with a gash that was bleeding, and he <laughs> took care of me. <laughs> hmm. so, I didn't remember ever um, going independently or particularly any way to the hospital other than... I think Mama was fed up with me at that point. <laughs> well, David, you were, you were prone to accidents even when, you were, even when you were a toddler in Quitman. She was so embarrassed because she had to take you to the pediatrician to get your stomach pumped because you drank, um, you drank shoe polish and um, then you ate Dutch, tried to eat Dutch cleanser, and then she had she had put Clorox into a measuring cup and then poured it in the washing machine. And you took the measuring cup and you drank the Clorox. And she was just well. White on hair. the other hand, <laughs> some people would have been calmer and wouldn't have necessarily taken a child for some of the events to the doctor. Mama was up and ready to get medical care. Well, I wonder if part of it was that we were used to it being so readily available. That's just. I was having a bad nosebleed, and I remember Paul Crane met me at the bottom of our, you know, the front steps that went down by Daddy's garage. Right. There, I was down by the by the road there. Uncle Paul came and he pinched my nose and held it for about five minutes, and he pinched hard but it stopped the bleeding, and I've always known how to stop a nosebleed <laughs> since. So, um, but, yeah, we were talking earlier about the shots we got. The, the, the picnic for the shots. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the story you just told on our little break, Uncle Baron, about the, the, the shots? Well, I just remember that by the time I was eight or nine years old, I'd figured out what the picnic was about. So um, one time we were going to have this. It was a potluck, and station picnic. I I decided that I was going to avoid it this time, and I, what I did was I locked myself in the bathroom, and um, but somehow they got me out, and I had to get my shots anyhow. But I think that the, they must have got they get shots immunizations in from the states or something, and. And they must have just given us whatever they had. Uh, we got, I think we got tetanus shots every year and yeah. typhoid. Smallpox um, and cholera. And, and polio. They, they didn't know frequency of shots back then, but our tetanus shots certainly were not 10 years apart. They were no. annual, we annually. Um, we have got to be immune to. Well, and the thing about shots back then, they didn't have any similarities nowadays. It, Back nowadays, you have these fine little needles and you don't even feel them. But back then, they had these big horse needles or something, and they would sterilize the whole little contraption of the needles syringe. Were, needles were reused. And, and they were dull as could be, and they would jab you in the arm. I mean, they talk about getting jabbed for um, COVID and stuff. 
Well, they don't know what jabbed is like. They sure don't. We had to, when I was at KCA, I remember one day there were these black cars that drove up and these military people got out and they went in to talk to the, the principal, Mr. Groeschel, and and when he came out, his face was very serious. And he, sa he said, you kids have to call your parents and explain something to us. And he came into the study hall and told us that all of us had been exposed to rabies because the little puppy that they had had who had bitten no one, the, the people at the, at the missile base said, that you could get rabies if you breathed the air the dog breathed. And so we all had to get anybody that had been in the school, and that included babies, that included everybody in the school. And we had to go, we children had to go to the missile base for two weeks and get shots in our stomachs, one, two, three, four. Well, the, the men at the missile base felt sorry for these busloads of kids, well, Land Rover loads of kids that would come in. I don't know if the parents didn't have to or not. That doesn't make sense to me now. But anyway, um, so they, they took up a collection to buy us candy bars and Cokes so you could get both a candy bar and a Coke on the same day at the same time, every day for two weeks. And we later read on the back, pa back page of the Stars and Stripes newspaper that this use of, of rabies vaccine had used up all of Korea and Japan's supply of vaccine. I don't know if that was true, but we had 13 shots instead of the prescribed 14. But we had them in our stomachs, and that was like you said, they b boiled the needles. And so you would come out and you would say, well, did you get a sharp one or a square one? <laughs> no, I got one that must have been bent because the kids, the babies, would tense up their muscles and they would bend those suckers as they tried to pull the needles out. And so that, that was not a pleasant time, except every day, we got a Coca-Cola and, and a candy bar, which was unusual. But uh, we also had dental care, um, but we had to go to Kwangju, a station 70 miles to the south of us, to, to the dentist. And the old dentist back in the 50s and 60s, I guess, Dr. Levi, Levi, Levi. Um, he had been Daddy's dentist when Daddy was growing up too. I think. Okay. Well, he had he had had old old machinery. Maybe it was I don't know if it was a pedal driven um, pump dri pe pedal driven. Um, it wasn't drill. bad. It was electrical. It I'm was electric. Sure. But it went. I still take that. Yeah. I think I think they had the same thing in America a lot too. Probably. Yeah, well, well, it he, still sounds like that. But he he was. Uh, he was our dentist, but took good care of us. Yep. Um, and then Dr. Newsma later on. Those fillings lasted. Yeah, I still have mine. Um, our teeth were terrible, at least mine was, maybe partly because we didn't have uh, fluorinated water. Didn't have fluorinated water? We didn't have good toothpaste either. It was probably more the chlorinated, lack of chlorinated water. Yeah. But, and all those Cokes only, and candy bars in Alisad. <laughs> because we could only drink um, uh, boiled water, uh, which they, we kept a big jug of boiled water in the kitchen, um, um, we, we, I learned and later on learned that some of y'all never never rinsed our mouth out. from well, You'd brush your teeth and spit, but never, never rinse... Out because you had to rinse out, you had to go down to the kitchen and get some water. Mm -hmm. My husband oh. was shocked when we got married and I didn't rinse my mouth. 
I never thought about that. I still don't. One person we haven't talked a whole lot about is your father, um, who is the missionary. Can you share some of your, what your awareness was of his work? And uh, I know at least towards the end of his time, he traveled a lot. Was he traveling a lot when you were young as well? Or was his work more around the Chunju area? Well, the big travel, of course, was while we were in America and he was in Korea during the war. So he was just gone from us for, a, I don't know what, a couple of years or a year and a half or something. Year and then half. after that in Korea, he traveled a lot, you know. He, Daddy would always go out on these trips to the country and he would take his bags of stuff and his shotgun uh, <laughs> in the winter. Yeah. And he would always take packets of, of grape Kool-Aid. Da Daddy was the only one in the family that had Kool-Aid. And he kept it in his study up in the bookcase, up towards the back wall. And it was grape Kool-Aid because that's what he took to the country with boiled water to use to make communion. And so rare was the time that we got Kool-Aid, but if we got Kool-Aid, we had to get special permission to get the only Kool-Aid that there was out of Daddy's study. So he always, he always took Kool-Aid, he always took boiled water and Kool-Aid with him to make communion in the... Um, I, I remember going in his study and sniffing the little packets. I think that Kool-Aid probably didn't have any flavor to it by the time it got, <laughs> got to the communion because we had sniffed all the flavor out of it. But, um, Daddy went... He was usually the supervisor of 20 to 40 churches around the province, a province is like a state. And he would go out, uh, depending on the direction he would go, and stay out several days and visit numerous churches. And that was because these churches that were assigned to him by the presbytery were the ones that did not have a, a ordained pastor. They had a, a, a evangelist. lay evangelist or or Bible school graduate or somebody there. Uh, and he would, uh, he, he had to do the, the sacraments. Uh, and so he would interview people for, for joining the church and do what he called the catechumen examinations and, um, um, and baptisms and, um, uh, and building up and encouraging of the pastors. Um, but he would be gone a lot. Four to five days a week. Yeah. And he would always be with his, his uh, Korean assistant that he would go out. I remember the missionaries got to be quite well known. And I remember we were way out in Nam Wan County hunting one, one afternoon. We would sometimes hunt with my father. That was one of our recreations. and. Um, we were, David and my father and I were going over a hill and there were some women up there raking pine needles to, to burn in their fire. And the, I heard one of the Korean women say, Chomoksa, Chomoksa, you know, and that was our father. And we were, I mean, we were nowhere. And this woman recognized my father. Now, one thing uh, was that when my father came back to America after the war, I was heard telling David, instructing David in the things of life. And I said, Mama is the boy, boss of we, but Daddy is the boss of she. And that was a saying that came to our family. And um, I think it must have been that after my father had been gone a year and a half or two years, and I was three and a half or four years old, I didn't quite know who this person was or how they fitted in. And, I kind of figured it out, and I told David <laughs> how life worked. So. Thank you. I've been wondering. Uh, but <laughs> Daddy had a study in the house always. A couple things about him I remember. One, he, he was an excellent typist. Mm -hmm. He would crank out letters to America. He would type out sermons, um, and 
He um, he pound away at his typewriter when IBM came out with Selectric typewriters. He bought a Selectric and wore it out. Uh, um, but part of his wonderful letter writing and good communication with the churches was that they that that um, the support uh, supporting churches in the U.S supported him well. Now they were paid a salary by the mission, but, but uh, and that was a set amount, uh, but they had a special askings list of projects that they wanted to be able to fund, and that's what they would raise support for. Many missionaries struggled with supporting some ideas and, and projects that they had. And Daddy never had great difficulty with that because he always communicated with these people. And he had some, some very high-up wealthy people that helped support him um, at times that he had met and kept track with. He, he'd been, he would be in a heyday with, with uh, emailing stuff now. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so he... He, he was a man of many talents and was always doing, working on something. He, he had helped build churches, start, probably helped to start up a couple hundred churches maybe. He, um, um, he would have all these people come up to the house to, his, uh, you know, to see Chomoks on him, to, to uh, get help, get help for ver ver advice for various things. Um, he was called the Bishop of North Chella by, by, missionaries, by, missionaries, by the yeah. missionaries because he functioned like a bishop with underlings under him. Not that they were under him, but that they would seek his advice for stuff. And he would shuffle them a little bit. I mean, he, he was kind of, yeah, yeah. advise them where to go to start a church. He had a map on his wall of Korea, of, of, the, of, town, the, province. of, of the province, and he put pins in it, and uh, he and Hugh Linton, who was in Sunchun, their goal was to get a church, Operation Lighthouse, a church within walking distance of every Korean in the area, which was about every five miles, every village, maybe about five miles, an hour, hour and a half walk. Uh, um, and they did it. And they did it. I I was back in Korea in uh, 1985, and at that time the roads were paved, so we were moving much more quickly through the province when we were traveling around. And I wish I'd had a tape recorder because every valley, every village that we passed, Daddy had a story about it and how it was started. And he kept amazing records. I have names of all these churches on a list <clears throat> that I don't know, have a clue where they are, but he was involved with them. I remember 1977, Martha and I went to Korea for a year and mom and daddy would take us out to their churches in the country and stuff. And I remember one church we went to and then we were heading home in the Land Rover or maybe it was the Pinto, Pinto by then. And um, my father went into the home of a deacon or something who was sick. And all the Korean children gathered around us like they usually would out far out in the country. And my mother would always like to have something to give to everybody. And she didn't have anything to give them. So she gave them my father's hymn book. And my father was furious. I mean, if you can say he would get furious um, because his they had three or four hymn books in Korea, and he had the numbers of all the um, different hymns and all the hymn books written on the pages of all the hymns, and he was so upset that she had given away his hymn book. But to your original question, I think I, we always knew what he did. I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of what he did. It was not until I went back in, in, after college or in med school that I went out to the country with him though, and saw, saw you know, uh, saw him in action, so to speak. 
But he also, <laughs> there's a leprosy uh, church, a leprosy colony church just outside of town that Daddy had helped from the start of it. From And he would go uh, every Christmas. From, from, During the Korean War. From before the Korean War and through the war and all. And the, he was their man at that church, and they loved him dearly. He preached there every Christmas, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, they would give us and eggs and apples by the crate. There. It was cold. And, and it was unheated, bitterly cold. These people who didn't have their fingers and toes and noses and all been destroyed by leprosy and and um, gruesome looking people, but Joyful. they they were happy and sung out loud and Sang. they, they mm-hmm. loved Daddy and and they would. They Sometimes they show up at our house. You know? They would shake our hands and things. We were taught. We were taught as kids to be hospitable. If somebody came and wanted to see Daddy, usually he would be in his office doing something. But if if he was busy or if he was at his off at his office over the printing press, then we we were taught to get the people a magazine, to give them a magazine to look at, and get them a glass of water and seat them on the porch. And especially if they were lepers, they didn't come in the house. Um, but but other people may have come in the house. Although in, in good weather, they usually sat on, we had swings at two ends of the porch and um, so they would sit out there, but we were taught very early to welcome guests and to seat them and give them a magazine to look at. Yeah, one, one of Daddy's other jobs was in charge of the mission press, which, uh, uh, and and was, at, uh, well, he he had an editor under him, but he he was founder of the Pukton Malsum, the Blessing... Blessed Word. Blessed Word magazine that was only only pastor's magazine in Korea uh, that he edited and uh, he uh, and, and a Korean man working with him edited and they printed it at his press that daddy was in charge of the mission press we used to go down they watch him making type it was a Use lead type is all hand set, set printing and um, uh, the um, you know we'd stand there as they have the molten lead going through the through the thingy making the type. I, I just I've thought about how much lead fumes we might have inhaled ooh, with. Well, we we we'd take some of the lead and play with play it. with it all the time. Yeah. yeah. So um, if if our brains are a little deranged you <laughs> have an idea how did um grandmom handle uh granddaddy being gone so much i i, I remember her mostly in her it's really 80s and 90s and she worried about her grandchildren a lot uh and worried about a lot of things a lot um was that well, a challenge was for her and and the old well there was a couple that worked for us the woman was the nanny and the she washed the laundry her husband did our gardening and he would sleep in our house when my father was out in the country. I forgot I that. I didn't remember that either. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, no. So that that would reassure her. But when Daddy was home, we would play games at night. When Mama was home, we usually were read to. She read us a lot of different books. And all of us had measles. Well, the three older children had measles at the same time because we got it from Margaret. Margaret had measles. Mama told me I hadn't had measles. She's wrong. <laughs> because because you you had measles and you had blonde hair and they even got in you had really blonde hair and you could see your measles all oh, through really? the through the scalp. And um and in those days, but you had already had them when we all three came down with them. And it was thought that you needed to keep people for whatever reason in a dark room. So the three of us would sit in mama's, would sit in mama's and daddy's bed. 
and the shades were drawn and everything, and Mama would read to us. And she read us, I remember this story, Penrod. She read us Penrod and Freckles. And, I Freckles. And um, let's see, what was the other one? Um, I can't remember. And she what. read some big classics. I remember her yeah. reading David Copperfield. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, she, she would read, she, she read really well. And, sing, for, and she would sing her ditties. Yes. Yes. For being sort of a nervous woman, I think she was actually a very strong woman. And uh, she kind of coped with things even when they made her nervous. And she always self-deprecated her work, compared herself to people who were uh, healthcare professionals or or professors or something, but she would, you know, she raised four kids, uh, kept the home place so daddy could could be out in the country and working night and day with uh, church planning work. She um, did uh, canning and she, yeah, but she would go visit the orphanage every week. She would go visit uh, women in prison every week. Um, she would go to the hospital and and go around and pray with women in at the, in their beds at the hospital um, and minister to them. Um, she was a real servant with that kind of stuff. Um, and um, and then later, when I went to boarding school, she and Daddy traveled together to the country. They had a little trailer. And she would teach Sunday school and teach the women. Do I am sure stuff. there yeah. are lots of country women and children in heaven because of her. No question. Well, she also at one point taught people English, and so um, different different young young, I guess seminary students or something. She would she would teach them English. And some people that learned English both from Grandmother Hopper and from Mama, went on to successful yeah. uh, climbing the ladder in the country because they had learned English, yeah. which put them ahead yeah. of life. Yeah. I remember seeing a picture one time of three young men that she had taught or was teaching English to, and like, you remember the big cotton mill or whatever it was in Kwangju? Well, guess who was the head of that one? It was one of the young men that Grandma had taught, and the other two were big businessmen, yeah, or politicians. The head or of the head of security for yeah for the president, um, right? Was a student of Grandma Hopper's, um, right? But Mama, Mama, uh, really did a huge amount of stuff. She loved, but her she loved to write. She wrote these little ditties of thoughts of the times mm -hmm. for the English speaking. Uh, Korea, Korea newspaper, band. the Korea Times. Uh, in she also, I think, was a real encourager of the missionary, particularly the missionary women. Um, I've I've had various people talk about going to mom, you know, going over to our house, and she would sit them in a chair and put a blanket over their knees and bring them something to drink and just, you know, listen and talk to them. And because we were near the medical center there, Sometimes people would come and stay for a while for health reasons, particularly women expecting babies may come and stay for several weeks while they waited. They had to be there a month early. And she she would just love on these people and take care of them. And, um, Her prayer partner was Ruth, Ruth Fulter for many years. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they were very close. Mm -hmm. her, her son has shared with me his memories of how close they were and what an encouragement um, Grandma was to his mother. One place that's been alluded to that was very important in your lives in Korea was Chidi-san. Um, we should talk more about that and what that experience was like. I guess uh, maybe as a start there, somebody could just explain what, what, what Chidi-san was and where it was. Uncle well, Baron? Well, Chidi-san was a mountain in a range. Or it was a, a mountain was range. range. And... The missionaries, probably back in the 1920s, one of them was grandfather Joseph Hopper, um, but several missionaries went out, scouted out an area and set up an area for the missionaries to set up summer um, 
vacation spots. Probably they started with tents. And let me just throw out that there were, it wasn't just vacation, it was getting to a higher safe elevation because because there was lots of death from malaria and other other you know typhoid and other diseases and so the missionaries went to the mountains. Mm -hmm. So they set up this one pretty place and they built I don't know how many cottages were up there little they and were, a hotel. Well there was a little hotel and 20 or 30 I think. 30. Well anyhow it was in a large valley on top of a mountain. Was it all Southern Presbyterians or others groups as well up there? I think it was primarily Presbyterians. We were the main people in that part of the country anyhow, uh, main missionaries. Um, and so when we came back um, after the Korean War at least, all of the uh, cottages had been destroyed and the hotel had been destroyed. The, the communist guerrillas during the Korean War had occupied that area. So we went back up there for several years, but I don't, I guess it was because the student, Korean students started considering that a neat place to hike through. They would come through and we were living in tents on these sites where the houses had been. Um, we moved to a different mountain. And um, then the mission, the, the, about maybe 10, five or 10, houses up there. Eleven and, ultimately. Seven or you, eleven. You, yeah. could, you had to walk to get up there. You had to walk about five miles up a mountain. and It was uh, a grueling hike. Yeah, it was. really was. But we would spend three or four weeks up there and be with people that we knew. And it was, it was a special time. We would, uh, we would um, enjoy playing with people like the Linton Boys or, or the Robinsons and the, the adults would have a lot of recreation, uh, like cards and stuff. They'd play cards in the evening. Later, over, over what we call the New Chidi, or the second uh, place, um, the missionaries pooled their funds, I guess, and dug out an area for a swimming pool, maybe kind of as big as this area here in your house, and um, we could swim there in it was just a, just fed by a spring just a little Coles. mountain stream that we dammed up and we we they um, dug the earth out from the mountain and leveled an area for a tennis court put a kind of a netting around it which would be taken down in the winter they we had gotten Quonset huts from the military at one point that's another story but they had taken one of those and set it up as the chapel and community gathering place there. And um, so that, that was where we would go. Yeah, we had a little uh, cabin. Ours was the second cabin. I guess Grandma Linton's place was first. Uh, uh, but uh, in the early 60s, sometime Daddy built that, that with, with a a corrugated tin roof that he had scrounged the roof from the military, um, but just a clapboard house, uh, not very big. What With a 12, 12 by twenty feet maybe, um, and um, had, had a. I think it was that small. It, wow. it really was. A, it's it was a small. I hadn't been there in a long time. I just that seemed okay. Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it's a lot small, a small a smaller than I thought it was. <laughs> but maybe maybe a little bit bigger than that. But anyway, you go into a front door. You had a fireplace to the left, uh, uh, a main room that had a um, windows out front, and he cut trees enough we could see a view out to the to the front. Uh, then had a little partition and bathroom on the right, and the kitchenette right behind there and, and the parents' bedroom on the left and a ladder, uh, a half loft and a ladder up to that 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 we kids would stay upstairs. Um, the girls were on the left and the boys were on the right. And there was another spring up the hill that they, he had tapped a pipe to and had we had running Just water. A garden hose. By, by hose and... Didn't have a refrigerator, but we kept some stuff in the box in the stream. 
down behind the house. It seems like that was a place where you started to forge friendships with kids from other missions that you would maybe later know at boarding school. Is that true? Not as much as other missions, but the kids from our mission, we became the Lentons especially. The but they Lentons. were on a different, com- different city, di- right? Yeah, right? That's yeah. what I mean. The Lentons and the Robinsons. Lentons, Moores, and Robinsons, uh, and Hoppers. And, yeah. uh, well, this, this, looking back, tended to be the more theologically conservative people, even out of our mission, do you think? I never Probably thought about so. that. Yeah. But this was all Presbyterians up there. Um, we had Australian Presbyterians. Well, that's right. Australian. The early missionaries the, the to early missionaries to Korea back in the late 1800s, they made the decision, and there's somebody's name attached to it, but on dividing the country up to to not compete with other um, Christian drums. biblically sound, but maybe theologically. A little different um, denominations. So the you had the the Southern Presbyterians in the Southwest, the Northern Presbyterians in the in the Southeast, um, uh, the Methodists, the Baptists, um, the Australian Presbyterians, um, and a little overlap of some of them um, that kind of mapped out the country. So we were the Southern Presbyterian section of the country, and that's why why we knew the Southern Presbyterian missionaries, didn't know some of the other missionaries as well uh, until we went to boarding school. And um, and at Chidi-san, there were two, there's a division in in mission vacation. There's, There's the beach people and the mountain people. And the beach people, there's Techun Beach, Ha, the, there was a missionary beach, a, I think two-mile stretch of beach that they uh, had leased or purchased or something, and and there were all these mission houses and a lodge and and all there, and then then the Chidi-san people, and and uh, so we were we went one summer to the beach. Um, I think it may have been two summers. But, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, there were ostensibly gorillas active up in the mountains, and it was thought to be maybe dangerous. So we went to the beach that summer instead. But Chidi-san was our center, a great center of our lives, and that month each summer on the mountains was just great. It was a deli- And it was vacation time for our parents, but Daddy did his stu- some study and all, but. Mm-hmm. Played a lot of games and hiked and swam and, it and was, tennis. It was annoying to us, or at least to me, because Daddy was so great with games and we would play games as a family at night. And other kids would come down and infringe on our time with our Daddy because it was so much fun at our house. Um, we had skittles. We had card games. We had board games. Um, card games, primarily rook and yeah, flinch, um, flinch, flinch. And sometimes at night, the um, the adults would get together in one one of the, the Linton homes or 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 the Robinson home, and they would play late into the night and bid outrageous bids on Rook and have a great amount of time. And there was no noise pollution or anything, so you could hear the adults laughing while you were going to sleep in the loft down below. And there was no encouragement by alcohol to laugh. <laughs> Real, an actual good time. Was there Scrabble there as well? As the oh, Scrabble yeah. Star? Lots of so, Scrabble. That was... They didn't play that between families. That was in our family, I think. Mostly, yeah. Mostly, Daddy and Mama played Scrabble, and and when when they were at home in Chunju, um, at at the breakfast table, it was always discussed who won the night before, which was usually no great surprise. Daddy would win, but my mother would sometimes say. Well, I let your dad win so he would sleep well last night, which was a joke because daddy could sleep on a dime. 
I mean, he would go to sleep and sleep for however long he wanted and then wake up, but. We had, there's a little um, point of the hill that was Vesper Point that we would have, have Vespers at. We, you could watch, look from there 50 miles to the uh, west to the mountain that sits over Kwangju. Uh, you could look down on the river, uh, one of the main rivers, the Kum River, uh, running down the valley below. Sumjinkang. Kum was up by Seoul. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. No, and yeah. then there was the place, Grandmother's Altar, that was at the other end. That was on, that was at the old Chidi. Oh, was yeah, it? This okay. Chidi, there was Rocky Point. Rocky mm -hmm. Point. Uh, that was uh, about a mile hike up to Rocky Point where you could look over at the rest of the Chidi San Range. Um, and Baron, I would, t I always, I always kept Baron on a pedestal on this stuff, but he could catch snakes so well and handle snakes. We had a box, I think a little box full. I probably could do a better job as a preacher nowadays if I do a little snake handling. But, uh. <laughs> My mother, as skittish as she, she appeared to be in her older years, must have been oblivious to the fact that Baron was running around Chidison catching vipers and putting them in sugar sacks that they had Bought and carrying that. them on a stick. I mean, sugar sacks were made out of, well, you, you use them also for dish towels. I think a lot of this but, is myth. No, I remember, but, I remember. But he would carry them around on a, on, a, on a stick like a hobo pack and hear all these, and it, it, it just, it puzzles me how he got away with that given my mother's abhorrence of anything that wiggled. Is that a bug? You know, the other thing we left out and talking about what we did in Chunju and childhood and all, Baron and I lived with our slingshots. Mm-hmm. We, that week we would hunt birds and all. We were good with our slingshots. But the birds were pretty safe, actually. Yeah, know, well, so. we killed a few, but yeah. Well, but you stole birds. Yeah. One time, we, a missionary came through who was an ornithologist, and he told us, that crows were good pets, so we kept our eyes open. Finally, we found a crow's nest, and I risked my life several times as the eggs progressed through babyhood, and we finally got two babies out of a nest of six, and brought them down, lowered them in a basket. Baron, would Baron was a good tree climber. Well, anyhow, we lowered them. A foolish one. And, <laughs> and we, we kept them. David and I would feed them whatever, and pretty soon they got a little bigger. We sent one down to the Lintons, and we raised, raised it up, and we took it uh, later in the summer. They, they were just free then to fly around after a while, and uh, lived around, and then when we went up Chidison, we put them in a basket and took them up Chidison, and we left them there because they were too cl close to human beings, and so that nobody was left up there except the caretaker after us, so they probably got a pretty good start there. But, but, that, but that same summer, one, one time I went down to visit the Lintons. Well, I guess it was when I went to take the crow down to them, and the Pettises had some turkeys that some people had given them. One of the turkeys was laying eggs, and they didn't know what to do with them. They knew I'd, I, we had hatched some chickens, so they gave me two of the eggs, and we took them home. No, they gave me one egg. The turkey wouldn't produce another one before we left. And after a week or so, my father went to a meeting in a different city in Kwangju, and the turkeys had produced another egg, so they sent it via Kwangju to me uh, after my father's meeting. And so we put them both in our little incubator, and we kept turning and turning them. Well, then the time was coming close for us to go up on Chidi, and all of a sudden, one of the eggs did hatch. Well, the other one didn't hatch in time, and I broke it open, and it was rotten. But then we had this one little turkey, a baby orphan turkey. What do you do with it? Well, we put it in a basket, took it up Chidi with us. And it was rainy those days. And so after, after a day or so, it got sunny. We put it out in the yard under the screen for our 
fireplace screen and about noon I heard a loud cheep and went out there and sadly the turkey was dead because the crow had killed it so that was I didn't remember what happened to that turkey that's what happened to it yep I remember um, crow killed it but well, we, we got used to we had so many pets and animals that we got used to creatures dying I mean it wasn't you know we had chickens and rabbits and that goose that Danny had winged. And magpies. Magpies, I mean, so, you know, sometimes animals would die like that, and we got kind of used to that. Probably helps you handling death to see that death is part of the cycle. Mm -hmm. And w one time, uh, one of the little chicks got stepped on and got his leg broken, just kind of mangled. And so David and I, well, maybe David did it, surgically removed the foot we had a hot plate at home. We took it down to the basement. You remember that? And we amputated the amputated this, this poor little chick's leg and cauterized it on the hot plate. Uh, no anesthetic. I but, did not know but, any of this. Uh, just as well. He, he did fine. Yeah, he 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 grew up and just he learned to use his wings to propel himself a little bit and and one paw it around the hop around the yard until a weasel got it one time. We. Uh, we would take a little chicken. There were some mustard greens growing in our backyard. There was a particular little fly that would sit on them. And David and I would each get one, and we would compete, seeing which one could catch more of the flies. And the little one-legged guy, he, he did pretty well at that. <laughs> when I came home from boarding school one time, the boys said, now, Alice, don't go eating any of the frogs in the refrigerator. I said, What? And they were they were catching frogs and feeding them to the crow, and so um, they would cut up the frogs and put them in the refrigerator. And so you need to be careful not to eat the pieces of frogs that were in the refrigerator. It was it was an old kerosene powered refrigerator, in case you. But could. my mother, my mother, went, the boys kept the incubator in their laundry hamper, and. And my, my mother one time said, do not tell your grandmother that I'm letting the boys raise chickens in their laundry hamper. We had, we caught an owl. Or I don't remember an owl. We had an owl and we took him down to the bottom of the basement steps, had him down there. You remember that old dingy basement? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was and terrible. And we had him down there and uh, because it was dark, and we figured owls must like dark. Uh, and we fed him crows, but we did finally feed him one of those red-bellied frogs. And we had heard that they might be poisonous, but we had never found that by experientially. But we fed a, a crow a red-bellied frog, and he died. Uh, I did not know that story. But I did know that thing about red-bellied frogs. Well, can I back up just a little? I have a hard time getting a word in, but talking about cheating. You know, a lot of people... When they hear I grew up on the mission field, they think it must have been a very somber experience. Yeah. It was not. The missionaries were a really fun bunch of people. I always remember just them having fun and having fun with them and really demonstrating for me sort of the fullness of the Christian life. Um, it was not at all a serious, somber experience for me. I agree. I'm on some adult missionary kid sites now, and we were very blessed. For one thing, both of our parents having been raised as missionary kids, I think perhaps helped them to know how to, how to parent the next generation. But one of the decisions that they made was not to make us go to Korean church. We had American church in the afternoons on Sunday afternoons, but they, they did not make us go to church all day, one service after another. We had Sunday school in the morning and then we had church in the afternoon. And it wasn't like we were being punished making us go to service after service all day long. And I think that was a, a wise decision. This is a technical question, but did, did you have um, like membership in the the sending presbytery that 
your parents came from, or was there an established congregation on the mission compound? When we joined the church, our membership was enrolled in Montreat Presbyterian. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That... So what happened when you, when you joined the church or made a profession of faith? I mean, I did it, you know, in Chenju, but I don't, I, I, as a child, I didn't think about where that was recorded. Daddy submitted that to Montreat Press, which, which author, authorized it. I did not know that. You may still be a member of Montreat Press. I might. I might. <laughs> Is that where Grandma would have been a member? Probably. I yeah, she was too. She yeah. was a member. Uh, Daddy was under the whatever Presbytery Davidson that that section of North Carolina is. Interesting. So you would you would the American Church would just be the mission compound. Or the that wouldn't have been soldiers just, and things. Just the mission. Any any any, any mi- American. They were later on. There were. A, f- uh, a couple of other Americans in the city, the Peace Corps, um, young people would, uh, would some of them come up to that. Um, but we... It was open to anybody. But it, we were just an American, we were the only Americans mm-hmm. in, t- in town. Maybe, maybe internationally, maybe there was a Catholic priest at the Catholic Church Mm-hmm. It'd be the other white face in town, but you know, yeah, we were the only white faces when we went downtown. We'd always have what twenty or forty, fifty kids following us. Migunum, migunum, which meant foreign devil, foreign devil, or American devil. Mm-hmm. Out in the country, when we were young, the people would like the old women would like to touch our hair. That was. Like Margaret's was kind of blonde, and none of ours was black. And they'd want to feel your hair. Margaret, it's getting blonder. (laughs) Working on it. But one of the things that our parents did intentionally was to raise us as Americans. There were some families that did not particularly raised their children to be Americans. Our parents assumed that we would go on to return to the States, go to college, and then whatever we did was whatever God directed. But they chose to raise us as American citizens, learning to salute the flag. My mother was real vocal about their trip when she was a child on a British freighter going across the ocean about how patriotic the British were when when the flag would go by or when um, they would sing God save the king, I guess, in those days, then everybody would stand to their feet and look patriotic. So we were to do the same thing. We grew up respecting our country. And Daddy, for many years, had a a picture of President Eisenhower on his study wall. Actually, it may have been the same cabinet where the Kool-Aid was, but um, he he kept a presidential um, picture up there, and we and he would listen religiously to the news on on the um, little transistor radio that he had keep up with foreign news. He subscribed to Time Magazine and read that from cover to cover. And um, so, but going back to Daddy being a member of a presbytery, when he came to Korea as a young missionary, he was welcomed with open arms because of course he spoke Korean. Now, that would not have been the theological Korean that he needed as an adult pastor, but he was the first, the first Sunday or so that he was in Chunju, he was invited to preach somewhere. And he turned them down until it had been okayed by Presbytery. And that always said to me, Daddy was a man under authority. And, and that's one thing that I love about our Presbyterian form of government and to know that daddy submitted to it. Now, we were talking about profession of faith. 
when I made a profession of faith, it was my mother who was telling me about being out in the country with and seeing some young boys make their profession of faith. And I'm sitting there thinking, ask me, ask me, ask me. And she said, wouldn't you like to do that? Before we go on furlough, wouldn't you like to make your public profession of faith and join the church? So they, uh, they got the man that was our station pastor at the time, Dr. Mr. David Parks, and he schooled me in the, in the um, it would be like a communicants class. And then in the home, in the downstairs of the um, missionaries, Grandma and Grandpa Linton, the session of Chenju met to examine me. And that was all of the ordained elders, which were most of the men, there asking me various questions. And I don't remember what the questions were, but um, I think one involved the what was the church triumphant. And I'd never heard the phrase before, but I think I guessed correctly. <laughs> and and on, on the way home, Daddy, walking back up to the road to our house, Daddy said, Alice, I think you did very well. I have, I have seen ministerial candidates not answer some of the questions as well as you did. <laughs> While we had a little break earlier, you had uh, mentioned the demonstrations in Chunju. I, I don't know anything about that. If yeah. you can... Any of y'all understand what the cause of those were? I, I never, What's that? The demonstrations in Chunju, oh, how that oh. came about. I never had that straight. Well, it, it had, it was church politics. And, and you, I think maybe you had a church split about that time. And um, I don't, I don't remember all the ins and outs of it. I, maybe it's in Daddy's book. It seems like it originated with some conflict in the American church that somebody brought back or something. Oh, well, it's McIn Carl McIntyre. Yeah. Um, well, and I don't know. I need to study up on him. Um, but, but he and Daddy, he had been to Korea. He and Daddy had some rough edges, I think. Um, but um, uh, it was. He he, kind of started some stuff that start, that led to the church splitting. He was the Bible Presbyterian, very legalistic. Well, yeah, very kin to the Orthodox Presbyterian later on too. But um, um, he's uh, but that was part of the um, part of the reason. But the Koreans. Um, the Korean church splits easily. The daddy said that there were more Presbyterian seminaries of different Presbyterian denominations in Chunju when he left Chunju than there were Presbyterian churches in Chunju when he went. Okay? <laughs> um, the, the Korean church split, but, but the so they blamed the missionaries for something on that, and the missionaries were seen as as the bad guys in this church split, holding to the to the uh, maybe lesser party of the church. But but they came, they demonstrated against the missionaries. They came up to the mission station. These the, the uh, opposition. Uh, people who took the other positions came over there. They had banners uh, and chants and marched outside the homes. And um, the mission station, the mission meeting, which was the annual mission, a annual gathering of missionaries from around uh, the the whole Southern Presbyterian Mission, um, were there in our station then. And they so the. They came up to protest whatever side or position the the mission had taken, and it broke into violence. There was the Battle of Pritchard's Porch. They there was stone throwing, and uh, it broke into throwing firewood. And and, and uh, some of the mission men had to fight some people off the porch, and mm -hmm. and all. 
we watched uh, we watched the more peaceful parts of it we watched from sitting up in trees and all i don't remember the some of the more violent stuff they took daddy's glasses off and were dangling them in front of his face and he didn't react violently or anything i think his glasses got broken mm -hmm. but that was at the other end of the station we were just hearing things from the telephone i remember when it started um, it was a mission meeting, and so there were kids from the whole mission there, and we were playing at um, what had been the Linton's old house. I don't remember who was living in it then, but there had been a gate on their Moors drive. Moors may have been there then. Yeah, there had been a gate on the driveway, and there were gate posts on the driveway. And so um, we'd been playing there, and we heard this crowd gathering down outside the gates down at the bottom of the hill, and they started banging on the gates. And we climbed those, the gate posts up on the driveway and were watching this. And they burst through those gates. And Pong Suni, my nanny, came down those steps, you know, down the hill from our house. She moved fast. I had never seen her move fast like that. She came running down there and she grabbed me off that gate post and carried me back up to the house. I was about five or six years old, and she she snatched me out of there really fast. Hmm. And that crowd came, I remember seeing the wall of people coming up that road, and they came around that curve to in front of our house, and then I don't know what happened, but um, I just remember that. It it was dangerous, I think. Well, they had, they had some people from the American um, consulate come down, and I remember hearing about what they were, they talked about crowd psychology and about how when a crowd got incensed, you couldn't control it or predict what would happen. And so they were warning the missionaries to be careful. Tim, Tim do you know um, much about Carl McIntyre? That he's, he's the one who incited all this by, by saying things that led to the split of the church. Daddy did not like Carl McIntyre. He, he led an exodus out of my denomination, the OPC, in a year after it was formed, uh, and was and then split the church he founded after that. He was he was he was uh, quite a character. I think Daddy personally interacted with him. There was a sign in uh, a sign in our um, pantry in the old house for years that said um, Carl McIntyre calls Joe Hopper a liar. It was one of those roll-up scroll banner things, you know. Huh. I would have that in my office if we still had that. <laughs> I don't remember that. It was in that pantry downstairs, uh -huh. Uh -huh. the big pantry. Uh, uh, about that. On the right as you came in, towards the back. Hmm. Yeah, he, he was a, quite a bombastic individual. There's a biography that came out of it about him recently that I'd like to read. I haven't yet. Well, if you find anything about Joe Hopper, or less yeah, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. If you find anything about Joe Hopper, it's lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it works, before we take a lunch break, when we take, when we're getting close, if y'all want to keep talking, I can run out. I'm going to run down to Little Caesars and grab a couple of pizzas. Pizzas were interesting too. We always grew up thinking pizzas had instead of pepperoni, they had slices of hot dogs on them. <laughs> you know, I don't remember. And they were square. I don't remember pizzas. The first pizzas I remember when I went to college. Well, but, that's because you didn't recognize them. Mama, okay. I can remember when Mama was going to try this new thing, and it was called pizza. And they spread the. It was it was in one of those oblong brownie pans, and Myung Sugemini thought it was very strange, and. You spread the bread dough in there, and then you put this tomato sauce and different stuff on it, and that was called pizza. Well, I don't remember that, and I, when I went to college, one of the first weeks, a group of guys said, should we go get a pizza? I said, sure. I don't remember knowing what a pizza was at all, and I went down there with them, and the, they were ordering. They said, Hopper, you like pepperoni? I said, fine. 
Um, I didn't have a clue, and they ordered ordered pepperoni pizza, and I ate it. And I, for years, I really didn't like pepperoni after that, but I, I've learned to like. Well, it. we had we had hot dog pizzas. What we had in Korea, I'll just tell you. When I went to college and had the same experience, went out for pizza, and they said, Margaret, what do you want on your pizza? I'd never had it. I said, What are my choices? They said, Do you like pepperoni? I said, what's pepperoni? And for the rest of that year, everybody teased me about, what's pepperoni? So, I, so I'm not that different from you on that. Yeah. <laughs> but you had the typical missionary response, David. The missionary kid response is, play along and you'll find out later. That's right. You yeah. don't, you don't acknowledge. Don't show the, your ignorance. That, that don't was show my mistake. Your my that first my mistake. going out for pizza at college, they said, do you want anchovies on your pizza? I said, sure. I mean, <laughs> they, everybody was getting anchovy on the pizza sauce. Well, but, but <laughs> we were secure in ourselves because when we came on furlough that one time and stopped in Hawaii, the guys got Hawaiian shirts and the girls got moo-moos. Well, moo-moos fell from the shoulder and they were ideal for going through Montreat in your bathing suit with under the muumu, and kids would say, why are you wearing a dress? And say, this is not a dress, this is a muumu. There's no such word as muumu. Oh yes, there is. We knew that there was a muumu because we had been to Hawaii. 